Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Welcome, everybody, into the valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined with Stephen Garner. We are excited to talk playoff basketball. It took long enough. Uh, Steven technically cheated a little bit. He got to enjoy playoff <laughs> basketball a little early with his Bulls. How is how is that, man? We're recording Thursday, so you're coming off of a, a pretty solid night of basketball for you. Yeah, it was fun. I got to get some um, <laughs> some early reps with the emotional part of being invested in basketball postseason. Uh, yeah, that was that was a wild game, but they ended up pulling it out in the end, and uh, it was an impressive way to go about it too. So I genuinely for as much as i've enjoyed looking forward to the playoffs you nailed it like the emotional side of the playoffs as a fan like an actual fan who i think i can like i care more about the suns winning than i do about this podcast like so i fan first right that's that's how it starts and then it comes you know all the other fun stuff down the road playoff basketball sucks it's the greatest thing watching other teams in the playoffs and then you flip on Clippers Suns, and even if you're projected to win by 90, you still have this kind of pit in your stomach because anything can happen. So I'm I'm excited that things have at least started off well for you, getting that first win under your belt. Hopefully it carries over to Phoenix. Uh, but again, we are into the Valley uh, with the Fans First Sports Network and Helio Hoops, and we are very excited for this episode to talk about uh, – Briefly, just some highlights of a good season of basketball. One that I think is going to be overshadowed, to be honest with you, as you look towards the focus of this entire season as what's happening in the last 10 games of the regular season, Season essentially. The trade almost hit the reset button in people's memories. The focus is now the Kevin Durant season and already looking to what it looks like next year. But I think there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, so just wanted to give us both an opportunity to highlight maybe some stuff we wanted to bring up before going headfirst into this series against the Clippers. Uh, I assume I know the answer to this, but were you pretty happy when everything played out and the Suns got the Clippers as that first round draw? Uh, you would be correct. Um, I was actually <laughs> a team that was actually a team that, you know, even before the uh, Paul George injury, it was a team that I wanted the, the Suns mm-hmm. to go against just because I know they're going to test them in a way that other teams in the West might not be able to because of the personnel groupings and then the coach that they have on their sideline. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was rubbing my hands in an anticipatory way. Once we found out officially that the Suns will be playing the Clippers in the first round. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think it comes with some fun questions from our perspective about what to look for. You know, the Suns have gone through a lot of change, but the Clippers have two. Uh, these two mm-hmm. teams haven't really seen each other in the versions they're in now. Um, 
the Clippers have been playing competitive basketball in the sense that their games have mattered, similarly to how the Suns games have mattered. But the last week, really, you know, that's that's where things kind of got all messy, unless you were down in like the seven through eleven range. Uh, so some good stuff to talk about there. But like I said, before we go straight into the playoffs, which I know is going to officially take over our headspace completely for the rest of the season, wanted to just give you an opportunity to share maybe one or two takeaways from this season. I, I think we do a disservice to the team when we kind of just hit reset. The regular season's done. Who cares what happened? Let's move on. And then honestly, we don't talk about the regular season again until like the playoffs are over. And we try to recap it through the lens of the playoffs, which last season sucked because all people could talk about was how it ended. So what what stood out to you? Whether that was a favorite thing, a thing you hated, thing that got better, what is, how are you going to remember this season? Well, first and foremost for this season, uh, before speaking on anything, and I know people have varying opinions for whatever reason, whatever agenda they're trying to push, Monty Williams has gotten a lot of credit for what he's done for this Suns team the past two seasons, really the past three seasons. Um, it's not going to get the same type of recognition as far as awards, and it doesn't warrant it, but he did a great job being the um, the chief of this team and navigating them through some very murky waters through the lens of injuries, through the lens of uh, a key player not playing with the team for over half of the season. Um, there was just a lot of different things. And then, you know, you had attention earlier in the season with DeAndre Aiden as well that was well-publicized and probably over-publicized um, by word of both of the two people involved with it. Um, and, and, and including James Jones when he had his interviews. <laughs> so, yeah, shout-out Monty Williams before anything else because he did a great job of being a true leader of a group of men. Um, and then kind of transitioning from that, I think the biggest standout for me, or at least one of the biggest standouts, was the fact that the team as a whole grew from the Dallas Mavericks series. So one of the main reasons that they lost in the fashion that they lost last season offensively speaking, was because Devin Booker was double teamed and then the Suns turned into essentially a chicken with their head cut off for a majority of those games in a sustainable manner, unfortunately. So naturally, we saw as they came into this season, the process of Devin Booker understanding how to navigate when he has two players' attention rather than terminating his dribble, holding them and then stretching them and then making passes out of there. But it wasn't just Devin Booker. It was also his teammates around him, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges when he was on the team, Cam Johnson when he was on the team, Josh Koji as a new player understanding what to do in these scenarios. They always did a great job of respacing after the double team, conceding to the double team, and then letting for them allowing for themselves to play within an advantage after that. We saw early in the season, I think there was a game against the Miami Heat on the road where Devin Booker was double teamed at nauseum. Sometimes he would just get double teamed as soon as he crossed half court. Sometimes they would go switch and double. Sometimes they would trap off of a pick and roll. You know, different variant scenarios, but their process has been so clean in a sustainable manner. And they've done a great job playing within the advantage that's presented by having a player that garners the attention of multiple players on any given possession. And naturally, by way of doing that and getting those reps out the way with just Devin Booker, now that you have Kevin Durant in the mix, even though some of the players that help with that process aren't here anymore, that same template is there, and the players around all understand how to realign and respace based off of the coverages that Devin Booker sees on any given possession, and that's what you need. 
not just from Booker, but also from his teammates. I think that speaks to the coaching too. Like, I, I think you're right. I think it was, we, I think they took a hard look in the mirror and said, what was the cause of this? And they've, they've taken it to heart. Do you think, you know, how big of an impact do you think that'll become playoff time this year? And that's the exact reason why it was one of the chief things that stood out to me, because naturally we're going to see again, Devin Booker is going to be double teamed in a multitude of ways. More often than not, it will come when Kevin Durant is not on the floor. And that's going to be even more important having that process as a template, because now when they throw this at them, they're going to be like, okay, cool. Rather than panicking and being uneasy like they were last season, they've matured in their process and the understanding of what to do and where to be and how to manipulate the scenario and flip it into as mo- as much of an advantage as it can present itself. So I think they're more than ready. I think Book's more than ready. And even more than being ready, he's more trusting after he's mm-hmm. seen them execute within this scenario so frequently this season. Yeah, no, I think I think you're spot on. I mean, I think even in a world without Kevin Durant, Booker's mentality through this season looked like a guy who didn't have to be the superhero at the end of the game. That that has been a stat that you can't keep. But like, how often does Booker feel like hero ball is the best option? This season seemed to be the first time it was kind of trending down, which I loved. There were less moments where I was scratching my head at the end of a close game. Like, why did he think that was the solution here? And I think you're right. I think he's more trusting. I think it's also a good reminder that there are so many teams who their core guys have played together five, six, seven years. This is year three of Chris Paul and Devin Booker because they're so mature age-wise, Chris Paul. Uh, and Booker just being who he is, it feels like, oh, they've been together forever. They should have this figured out. But there is value in reps and time spent together. I think the little voice in the back of my head is like, well, does that make you nervous about Kevin Durant? Maybe. We might talk about that in a second. Um, A tiny sample size to base off a whole lot of predictions, but luckily it is Kevin Durant and that helps. Um, Wanted to jump back to the way you opened it because the way you opened it was my big takeaway as well. And you nailed a lot of the, I would just say, off the court reasons things could have derailed um the Monty versus Aiton situation the Jay Crowder situation the Robert Sarver situation there were so many things happening around this team that could have potentially justified something going wrong and I know some people viewed the Jay Crowder issue as that thing but I thought the way it was handled looking back you have a guy who still loves his teammates they still love him he went where he wanted to go and everyone seems pretty happy. Not every player is going to love every coach. Obviously, Jay and Monty weren't really vibing towards the end. That's normal. So you have all these reasons things could go wrong, and then you add to that what I think is the biggest issue for this year was the injuries. I looked through on the old b-ball reference every single starting five for this season in the 82 games. Out of the 82 games, the Suns had 15 one five where their starting five was their actual, what I would call real starting five. So later on, that's going to be a Josh Akogi lineup with the big four. Early on, that would have been Paul, Booker, Johnson, Bridges, Aiton. 15 of 82 did the Suns actually have the five guys out there that they wanted to be out there. And they still go eight games above 500. 
And this is this is the fun thing I took from from reading through those. Here are some of Ethan's personal favorite starting fives this season. And this is not even including the last two games, which honestly look like they were made up. We have some where like you could say it kind of makes sense. You've got like CP Bridges at the two, Sarich and Craig at this who knows who's playing what position in DeAndre Ayton. You're like, all right. I mean, I guess I could see that. Oh, man. Then you get Landry Shamit starting at point guard with Mikhail, Torrey, Dario, and Aiton. You're like, oh, this is not going well. But at least Bridges and Aiton are still there. Well, let me give you the next one. Dwayne Washington, Let's Mikhail Bridges, <laughs> Torrey Craig, Dario Sarch, and Bismack Biombo, who's now officially in there. Then we have, who's that? A guy who hasn't played in weeks. Damian Lee starting at point guard with Mikhail, Torrey, Dario, and Bizzy. And then CP finally comes back. And you're like, okay, things are getting normal. Chris Paul, Damian Lee, Torrey Craig, Jock Landale, and DeAndre Ayton. The Suns started those fives in actual games that mattered throughout this season, having only 15 games with their actual starters, and they finished eight games above. And then on top of that, you might say, well, statistically speaking, there's probably a pretty sizable drop-off. They finished the season seventh in defensive rating. Offensive rating, I, and I think it's just the NBA and the talent gap. If the offensive rating drops, which it does, and it did, I think they ended up finishing like 13th, 14th. There is such a massive offensive talent gap that I don't think could be made up for by effort and hard work. Monty can only do so much with the pieces he's given on offense. Defensively, on the other hand, I think that screams coaching. Because those names I'm listing and the guys that are playing 30 plus minutes are out there working hard in a system that is being well run, well executed and well drawn up. Like the fact that they finished as a top tier defensive team with all of that crap on the court is phenomenal. So again, no matter what happens, if the Suns don't win a ring, there will be some loud people saying this is Monty Williams fault. Okay, I know you're going to do it. So go ahead. They don't get here without him. I also don't think they get Kevin Durant without him. That is another, I don't know how spicy that is, but I think if there was a different coach, the odds of Kevin Durant going into this year wanting to be here goes down significantly. I think Monty deserves a whole lot of love. Even if we win a ring, no one's going to be like, Monty's the reason, and I get it. It's going to be KD, Book, whoever. So regular season through this lens, Incredible job by Monty Williams. Incredible job by the team having a full 15 that could step up into starting lineups that they never should be in. And changing, I thought you nailed it last episode, man, talking about Tory Craig and the mental shift of knowing your role and being within your role. So many people played outside of the role this season. And, and for that reason, I think this regular season is a really impressive one getting home court for any playoff series after this season, especially with the mess that was down below. I think that's really impressive. So that's my big takeaway. Um, I guess we, we turn the page in a sense, as we look towards playoffs, what you got. I did have one more and it yeah, man. really was, it really was kind of what you nailed at the end. Uh, and it could just be in an all encompassing way, applying to so many different things, but just buy in. Mm-hmm. I think, 
you talk about team dynamics and you talk about players getting along and chemistry and coaches getting along, skill sets meshing together, whether the game plan and the scheme is appropriate for the team, all of that stuff, all of the X's and O's, all of the interpersonal communication and relationships and all of that stuff, if there's no collective buy-in, you don't navigate the waters of a season where you lost so many um, games to injury from the players that you deemed as your best five. And then one of those in the top six doesn't play the whole season. If you don't have collective buy-in, like, it doesn't happen. So you look at instances like, like we mentioned, Torrey Craig starting way more games than he was supposed to this season. Josh Okoji by that same measure. Mikael Bridges having to step up out of his role as a third or fourth creator to being a second and really a first for those, those games where Devin Booker was out. DeAndre Aiden being asked to do more on offense. Chris Paul being asked to operate in a way that he hasn't operated in his, in his entire NBA, in his entire basketball life. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Team USA, high school, college, um, whatever. He's never operated in the manner in which he has. That all comes back to buy-in. We talk about Devin Booker trusting his teammates and not forcing it against double teams all the time. That's buy-in. We talk about all of the the defensive things that you just mentioned in your in your um in your instance where you're talking about um the defense being at a level. That's all buy-in. So yes, yeah, shout out to Monty for the the culture that he's continued to establish and continue to hold his team his team too. Um, not allowing for that level to slip or dip, regardless of who might be in or out of the lineup over the course of 82 games. That's all buy-in, and I think buy-in is maybe the the uh, key emphasizing phrase for the season. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple questions for you. Come playoff talk, and Monty's going to be a big part of one of them, so I'm excited to get into it. But Suns Clippers, we both agreed that was that was the draw. That was the opponent we wanted faced for whatever reasons those may be. You got to feel a little good just because of the alternatives that were out there. You know, I don't think you get overconfident, but you look at this on paper and you say, I would take this over some others. Paul George being out, like to your point, I think it definitely adds to it, but I still felt that way going in. I really did. The Clippers have shown that they can be a competitive team and give the Suns a whole lot of issues. Looking back just two playoffs ago, they have stayed pretty much intact within their core, something that's actually seemingly quite rare when it's not a team of young guys. It's a lot of vets who've stuck together. The Russell Westbrook acquisition, people can throw crap at Russ all day long. I will always enjoy watching him play basketball. I think he's elevated them in ways they needed to be elevated, whether that's facilitating, creating for others, getting more going in the paint. So they're not, I would say like getting hot at the right time, but I still think they're figuring things some figuring some things out as they go into the playoffs. So Steven, I'm going to give you just the broadest opening in the whole wide world here, man. As you look at Suns Clippers, what jumps out to you? What are you thinking of? I know your brain immediately goes on court in so many ways. Uh, I always think bigger picture and then slowly narrow in. You jump right into it. What are you looking at when it comes to the Suns Clippers matchup? Well, the first thing that jumps off the page in this matchup, it has to be Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. They've had a handful of matchups in the postseason. Um, One time, obviously, well, a couple of times, obviously, in the Western Conference, but also looking at when KD was with the Warriors and Kawhi spent that season in Toronto, the year that he won his championship with the Raptors. 
they had a handful of instances matching up against each other. And these are two of the, the best players of all time. So just looking at it at the top of the rosters, you look at those two, and that's just that's tantalizing. That's one of the that's one of the main draws of the playoffs. You get the best players healthy, thankfully, going up against each other in a mano e mano matchup in a in a first of four sprint. Um after that, I like to look at the coaching because mm-hmm. these are two of the best coaches in the NBA. And the best coaches in the NBA take another step just like the best players in the NBA do in the postseason. Whether that's game planning, whether that's bringing out wrinkles and schemes from their back pocket that they were able to kind of keep at bay over the course of the regular season, bringing those things out, making real-time adjustments on the fly. Um, Just all of these little things that go into giving yourself that little bit of an edge to win a playoff game. There's so many things that go into winning just one game. There's so many things that go into winning a quarter in playoff basketball. And these are two of the best tacticians, and they've shown it over the last three seasons, um, well, two seasons now for uh, for Monty, um, on the biggest stage and being able to get more out of their team than um, what's perceived to be expected from their rosters. So looking at those two going at it is going to be fun. Obviously, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook is two point guards, two of the best point guards of all time. Even though they both might be past their prime now, that's fun. And then just looking at the many different um, lineup uh, personnel matchings that the that the Clippers can deploy against the Suns. Uh, obviously, the Suns present a lot of different things that they can do on the offensive side, but the Clippers have a lot of ways that they can go about defending those. And just looking at the stylistic matchups and the different avenues that both teams can go to at any given moment, it's going to be so much fun to dive into it on a game-by-game basis with you on this platform of ours, as well as uh, looking at film and writing about it as well. Man, I'm just so excited. It's like Christmas for me, man. I love I just love it so much. This is such a fun matchup. Yeah, I I'm pumped. I mean, you already said it. The playoffs alone are worth getting out of bed for. Like as a Suns fan who's been doing this for a while, there were plenty of years where I had to get excited about the playoffs even though my team was not involved. And you're right. It is incredible watching the stakes just go up in every way to the atmosphere to the players on the court I love your point about the coaching I think that is spot on I think there are so many not NBA fans that think NBA basketball as a coach rolls the ball out and then the talented players do talented things like playoff basketball is where you actually get to watch like game one to game two you're gonna see something different and then you're gonna see it again and it's it's a lot of fun. I love the Durant Kawhi storyline like you brought up. I am convinced in a revisionist history world if Kevin Durant comes back and doesn't re-injure himself, I don't know if the Raptors get that ring. I thought KD was playing on just like another existential plane throughout. Yes. Like I there's a part of me that's like you know he wants to get this one as well. And it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And there's a lot of individual players who I just enjoy watching. And Russell Westbrook, to your point, for I don't, I don't know how he has become so crapped on. He, at his peak, was one of the most fun basketball players to watch every single night. And he is still, talk about buy-in, that is a guy who gets crapped on, doesn't deliver like he once did, and still is out there giving it a whole, whole lot. So I think I think you're right. There's a lot of stuff that I'm excited to watch outside of just the 
I'm going to be nervous the whole time type vibes. I had a couple questions for you that I wanted your basketball brain to kind of think through on the spot. Give me your ideas. Let's and the, fir- the first one comes from how Kevin Durant has been used in a very, very small sample size up until this point. So again, small sample size. I want to preface that. Whatever. We got to use what we got to use. So Kevin Durant has been used differently on offense in a couple big ways from Brooklyn till now. And even if you want to look pre-Brooklyn, you can look that way. The two things he has significantly had more involvement is, number one, spot-up shooting. Whether that's catch and shoot or just spot-up in general, um, I think it was up about 7% from his usage in Brooklyn already. He's about 20% of his possessions are spot-ups right now in Phoenix, which is quite high for a guy of his caliber who usually plays the type he does. And then his actions and involvement off of screens have increased by almost 8% as well. So it's going to be a different Kevin Durant than what we saw in Brooklyn last year come playoff time, which was a phenomenal player. Because of both of these things, Kevin Durant is being off ball more. That I think is the the simplest way to describe what we're seeing different. Kevin Durant does not have the ball in his hands. You even see that with more post-ups as well. He is not getting the ball and initiating like he has elsewhere. So here's, here's where my thinking goes. I would assume the Clippers are going to use Kawhi Leonard as the primary defender on Kevin Durant. Now, the Suns have the ability to have multiple primary offensive weapons. It's not just KD. Defensively, the Suns don't have to use KD as their guy either. When you're looking at the effort and the stamina aspect, when I look at the Clippers and I say, how can I hurt what makes them strongest? I say, I want Kawhi Leonard tired. I want him to have to do a lot on defense because I know he is, quote, that guy on offense. Do you think Kawhi defensively is going to have an easier time with KD if he is off ball more? If he's able to kind of shadow Durant early in the shot clock, kind of watching the sets and the movement happen on the other side. And then sure, maybe KD gets the ball with eight seconds left in the shot clock. You're having a tough physical battle. You can test the shot, probably goes in. Do you think that the Suns are going to try to force Kawhi to exert more offense on defense to make him weaker on offense? And I know that was like four questions in a very convoluted (laughs) way, but I was just trying to play out like, what do I see happening come Sunday? And it's like, crap, is Kawhi going to be able to kind of sit in the corner with KD? Because he's been chilling there in a lot more of those spot-up zones, either the the winger in the corner more and more. And I was just curious, do you think Monty does something about that, whether that's changing our offense or changing where he wants Kevin in the offense from the get-go? Well, I think we – so we really didn't see much of Durant initiating, to your point. Uh, and that's why in the last game that the Suns played, when he did initiate in that fourth quarter, I think it was against the Nuggets. Um, that's why it was so kind of like surprising because we were like, oh, yeah, that's right. We've been talking about Durant can do this. He can do that. He can also initiate the offense. Like he can do that whenever he wants to, not just in transition. They can literally have him start a set. So um, I think keeping Kawhi involved, especially without Paul George for at least the first, the early part of this uh, series. It's definitely going to be something to track. I think that's a great uh, catch by you 
in bringing that up because I do think that if Kawhi has to exert a certain level of energy on the defensive side, which obviously if you're tasked with guarding Kevin Durant, you have to. You can't um, you can't give three fourths of the tank. You have to put, you have to be all in. Otherwise, it might be fifty or sixty or seventy. <laughs> so I do think that is a that is a great point to make, and I also think kind of within that, the Clippers might try, and this might not work, but they might try to use players like Terrence Mann, who don't necessarily have the requisite stature, but they have the um, activity levels that they can bring to the to the party that they can kind of use in spurts to kind of give Kawhi a, a somewhat of a break while he's on the court. Kawhi might be able to guard um, maybe Devin Booker, potentially. Like, there's a lot of different ways that they can go about uh, kind of flipping the matchups to um, just kind of, like, reserve his energy over the course of a game. But I do think that dynamic with KD, specifically with Kawhi, uh, is going to be important to watch because, obviously, he's their best uh, their best option for him. And really the only true option for him right now. Yeah, I was going to say, who do you think are the secondaries? Is it Because, I mean, they've mm-hmm. got a, a locker they have a room. Slew. Yes. <laughs> so they've got Marcus Morris, who I mm-hmm. think is still out, but started warming up slash practicing again. Does that sound right from what you were seeing? I've not seen him mm-hmm. like a guaranteed back. Robert Covington, who nope. had been playing more minutes, got a couple DNPs towards the end of the season when I think he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Batum? Batum's yes, probably the that's third. The, that's the big name right there. I think right? If, it's like, ever, if it's ever not Kawhi, it's most likely going to be Nicholas Batum because of the stature and the trust that um, T. Lou has shown to have in Batum just defending the isolation without help. It's going to be interesting because I just this and this is this is big brain. I'm probably overthinking this to the millionth and you can probably reply with that's really stupid. But (laughs) one of my favorite viral like on the court videos that that went around was was bubble basketball with LeBron doing basically switches over and over with pick and rolls until he finally got the one guy guarding him directly who he knew was just absolute toast. There is a part of me that thinks the Suns are in such a weirdly good position. They could almost do the inverse and make through switches Kawhi step onto a Booker or a Chris Paul, which then means Booker or Durant is now being guarded by someone who should not be guarding them. Like you almost can force Kawhi out of the action you really want by making him play up on that kind of point of attack. You know, usually it's we're just waiting for the dud. I, the Clippers aren't going to allow that to happen, right? Like, that's just not how it's going to be. So you almost have to be strategic in saying, we want you to pull away here so that we can attack on the backside, whether, you know, whatever that mismatch is. But let's let's bring Chris Paul into the mix. Chris is playing some of his best basketball, especially of the season. You, I think, were the first person I heard mention the I think the guy's just kind of been cruising at 20, 30 miles an hour on the interstate this whole time, waiting to put his foot down on the gas and see what happens. Like, he showed it. He has shown there's a lot in there. So when you're looking at Chris Paul attacking this very long, athletic, wing-heavy Clippers team, what are you looking for Chris to do to maybe either exploit that or just find the best version of himself out there? Chris is certainly going to be called to task in this series because 
of because of the the makeup of the roster that the Clippers have. So we mentioned that they have um, pretty much every wing that you could imagine from an ancillary respect on their roster. You got Robert Covington, Terrence Mann, Nicholas Batum. Like there's just so Marcus Morris Senior. Like there, that's just a that's a lot to deal with, and that's a lot of length to deal with. And the switching specifically has been something that Chris, I'm not going to say it's defeated him, but it's made him work harder to keep that level of uh, production that we come, we've come to expect from the player that's named the point guy for a reason. Like, it just makes, it sends things off script. So what, what switching does is it flattens out an offensive attack and then it forces you to play more one-on-one basketball if you concede to it or stagnate your um, your ball movement. So imagine Chris Paul comes off of a pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton. Robert Covington is guarding DeAndre Ayton. And let's just say Nicholas Batum, because of his length, is at the point of attack guarding Chris Paul. They go into the pick and roll. That becomes a switch. There's no angle for Chris to hit the pocket pass to for DeAndre Ayton because of the length that's involved defensively. He has a retreat dribble. So now the flow and the advantage that a typical pick and roll whether it be Chris Paul attacking to the elbow or DeAndre Aiden's roll gravity has been neutralized. So like, what do you do next in these scenarios? Chris can go isolation. They can go rescreen. They can have some second side activity that takes advantage of what's going on in the pick and roll. Like there's a lot of ways they can go about it, but he's going to definitely be called to task in how he goes about operating against these switches because they're going to give it to him and they're going to give it to him in abundance. So seeing how he navigates those waters, which is, Kind of similar to what the Dallas Mavericks did, only they don't have the defensive personnel that this Clippers team does. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of a game within the game to watch. Um, and I do think the switching of the Clippers will um, challenge not just Chris but the Suns in general to to keep their flow and maintain their flow offensively um, with the multitude of uh, toggling matchups that's gonna go over the course of twenty four seconds on the shot clock. Can they keep their rhythm? Can they keep their flow? Can they continue to get to the points on the floor where they operate best at, regardless of what the defense is doing? And even more than that, can they just exploit matchups? Switching toggles responsibilities for defenders, and then it also puts defenders in different positions. So if Kevin Durant, like you mentioned, starts with Kawhi Leonard, and they go with some type of screening action, so now Kevin Durant does not have Kawhi Leonard attached to him, can they get to those matchups? with a feasible amount of time on a shot clock to get up a good shot consistently. That's the um, kind of the the challenge within going against switching. And that's what makes playoff basketball so unique. So I feel like we've covered the guard side. Uh, I don't know. I feel, I always feel bad just straight ignoring Devin Booker, but sometimes I'm just like, I know what to expect here. We've seen a full playoff series with him before against a very similar Clippers team went off led the team in scoring, didn't even shoot necessarily great, but was pretty phenomenal. If you look back to 2021, the number two guy was DeAndre Ayton in that series. DeAndre Ayton averaged uh, just a hair under 18 points, 14 rebounds in that series against the Clippers. And you look in the Clippers, Zubach has been kind of their center now for a while, kind of just fits in terms of of when you think about the Clippers, you expect to see that big, burly seven-footer stumbling around. Do you think he will be able to stay out on the court for a lot of the games? Or do you think the Suns are going to force the Clippers to go small and just be like, 
a whole party of wings out there with either Powell or Westbrook as the initiator, just kind of surrounded by six, seven giants with six, 11 wingspans. Cause I think that was an interesting thing two years ago. And now the Suns have more guys who are comfortable with the ball in their hand, more guys comfortable attacking a closeout, attacking at the rim. I think Josh Kogi has shined recently in doing just that. Do you think there's, do you think there's a chance that Zubac gets played off the court? And they're having to go small pretty quick because I, I don't know. I just can't see him staying out there for the whole 25, 30 minutes that maybe he was in the playoffs a couple years ago. So I do think that <clears throat> Zubac has a certain level of defensive versatility to where he's not going to be a turnstile by any stretch of the imagination. However, However, <laughs> when you're going up against guards, the likes of Devin Booker and Chris Paul or um, a unicorn like Kevin Durant, <laughs> that changes things a little bit. So you might be able to hold your hold your hold yourself against a different type of grouping of uh, primary ball handlers. But when it's these three that are crafty, in addition to being effective with getting to their spots in the mid range and creating separation to get up shots that hits different. So I do think, and I won't necessarily say that Zoo will get played off the floor because I do think that Tyron Lue will be more than prepared for mm-hmm. if his weaknesses, which the Suns are likely to do, are exploited. He already has a ba- uh, a card in his back pocket with obviously being small ball. But also, they have an addition that they made at the trade deadline in Mason Plumley, who mm-hmm. is more than capable of playing at the level of screens and fitting right into their switching um, the switching scheme that they use defensively. He's able to hold his own for a couple of dribbles against a Chris Paul or a Devin Booker out in space. He's able to hold his own on the mid-post touch defending against Kevin Durant with length and size and athleticism and strength. He's able to do these things in space and also do it with active hands that forces teams to what w- usually would be um, retreat dribbles into isolation to have to work more for that. And if you're having to exert more energy and bleed the shot clock more, that's a win for the defense. So Mason Plumlee is going to be a key wrench in everything that Tyron Lue does. But also speaking to the small ball um, dynamic, which is inevitable because that's a part of what they do. I want people to pay attention to when the Clippers decide to go to it. Does it feel like they're going to go to switching or going to small ball specifically as a reaction to being hit upside the head from everything that the Suns are doing? Or does it feel like it's more so just a part of their rotation or their game plan offensively or defensively for specific stretches of the game? Like that's a that's a big thing to pay attention to because it's always obviously been a weapon for this team to use. So just kind of kind of have a feel for the game and see when and why they might try to be going with a small ball lineup is going to be important to watch. I also think what's interesting is, you know, you look two years ago and you're like, well, times have changed, things are different. But if you remember two years ago, Kawhi Leonard had just got hurt in the series before in the playoffs, and that was a Paul George Clippers team. So the Suns do have experience in the playoffs going against a one-starred version of the Clippers. Paul George getting healthy at any point in this series will immediately make things look quite different from what we might remember. In that last series, when there was just one star, Zubach averaged 31 minutes a game, which I was surprised by. It was higher than I thought it would be. And I think you're right. I think the Plumlee acquisition, when him and Bones Highland aren't getting into fights, like that's a valuable piece to have. 
whether that is a a functional we need this switch or even a foul trouble i mean there's a reason the suns keep multiple big guys because we are well aware that the suns right now i think in the last month the second most free throws against in the league which plenty of people will have plenty of points about that but they're fouling all i can say is that they're fouling mm-hmm. so we've talked we've talked kind of about i would say the the starting groups here, what we expect from the groups that maybe could go one way or another. When you look at the bench, we're not going to break down the whole bench either way, but what, who's one name to look for on the Clippers bench and the Suns bench that you think has the biggest chance to make an impact? Well, let's start with the Clippers side is Norman Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think he may have led the NBA in uh, total points off the bench this season. Uh, if he wasn't the leading guy there, he was certainly at the top of that list. And he has a scoring pyrotechnic eruption type of uh, style of play that can flip, especially in a playoff game, that can flip a game on his head if he hits that note at a specific point in the game. So imagine this like middle of the third quarter or late third quarter, and there's obviously reserve players mixed in with starters in this stretch of the game. And Norman Powell goes off for like 12 points. And uh, when he came into the game, it was tied. Like, it's little things like that that apply pressure to the other team that forces them to sweat and play from behind. On top of him being a player that Kawhi Leonard won a championship with in Toronto. Right. And he was a key cog to that group. So there's an experience factor with Norman Powell. And a lot of things that I'm saying with Norman Powell in terms of style of play and production can also be replicated by Eric Gordon because they're very similar players. Like there's some redundancy between the two. Um, Those two players are going to be key to watch and seeing how the Suns defend them. Yeah. And one thing too on Powell, another thing I think that's important is that he's got Ty Lue's trust Uh, over the last three weeks. I was kind of just looking through the Clippers games, how the flow worked on close games three or four times. If Powell was on in the third quarter, Russ did not play in the fourth quarter. Like, They they are similar enough in what's needed. If Lou knows that Powell is the guy, he's going to run him out there with the starters for the majority of the fourth. And so that's not one where, you know, campaign has a good game and you're like, oh, well, you know, eight minutes left in the fourth. He's coming out no matter what. Like Lou doesn't have to operate that way, given how they're constructed. So I, I think that's a great call out on the Clipper side. What about the Suns? I feel like that one's maybe tougher now that Akogi's in the starting lineup. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been an easier choice, I would say. But who do you think could make a big impact on the bench? So I'm kind of torn here on this one between Tory Craig and Jock Landale because when Jock or when uh, when Josh Okoji comes out of the game, uh, he might be matched minute for minute with Kawhi Leonard. But the Suns are going to need Tory Craig's defensive activity, mm-hmm. his defensive impact, his offensive rebounding, his defensive rebounding as well. And just his general activity, uh, whether it's cutting, whether it's screening, all of these little things that he brings to the fold from a reserve role, which, again, like we talked about in the last episode, is the most optimal role for him. Those things are going to grow so invaluable in these games. And, I mean, we, he showed it in the season that the Suns went to the finals the season before last. When he's hitting those notes off the, off the bench in the role that he's supposed to be in, it helps to really start to make the margin for error for our opposing team a lot less and a lot less and a lot less. Um, and then kind of looking at Jacques Landale, 
So the Clippers, like we mentioned, like to run a lot of switching. They like to run a lot of things where they're playing with activity at the level of screens and things like that, putting pressure on the ball. Having a connector, the level of Jock Landell, to play underneath all of that activity that has the ability to catch passes from a different type of um, – a different type of level of trust that DeAndre Aiden might not necessarily always have, especially in traffic, is important. Because Jock Landell has a great processing speed as a secondary playmaker. He can catch it underneath these switches or underneath these double teams. And he can get the ball where it needs to be. But in addition to that ability to process a defense that's scrambling and make the requisite passes needed, he can also function against switches. So if they're going with the small ball lineup and Jock is out there with Durant and Chris Paul, Jock can go from screening for one of those two, getting a switch, dive immediately to the post, and get up a quick hook shot or a quick soft touch floater, a quick banker off the glass. Like, he has a lot of different ways he can go about operating that I feel like makes him the best option for this team to play with off the off the bench if they're not going with a small ball lineup with Durant at the five. So, for me, it's Torrey Craig and then uh, Jock Landale specifically for this series. Yeah, I'm, it was hard for me to not come up with those names. Campaign was the only one, and that was that was less matchup, more hopeful. Like, there's nothing on paper that says, yes, Campaign should thrive in this series, right? I mean, all the same problems you shared about Chris, same with Campaign. That's just one I'm, I'm hoping. Um, oddly enough, he did have one of his best games, if not his best game against the Clippers a couple years ago. I think it was in game two. But, um, yes, you know, you hope hope to see some life out of him because I think it's going to be really helpful in case Chris either starts taking the foot off the gas or, or anything can happen. Um, and, yeah, I thought Dario did a really good job against the Clippers in that series a couple years ago, too, playing that similar role that you're hoping Jock can play. Uh, yes. And I think being able to do that while having more of the stature of an actual center and the post moves to go with it, I think can be great. So I'm I'm hoping to see that uh one thing i did want to add as as i was looking into the sun's bench and it, it came into my mind going back to march 5th against the dallas mavericks where josh kogi had a notoriously horrible shooting night and eventually in the fourth monty williams pulled him out put in ish wainwright and things changed do you think monty might have a shorter leash with some of these other guys come playoff time. Because that game against the Mavericks, it didn't take me till the fourth quarter to know that Josh Kogi was not going to hit an open three-pointer. I knew that at the tail end of the second, maybe early third. Monty in the regular season always, always gives his guy a pretty long leash to figure it out. He made a change. It was a good one. It paid off in the Suns win. Josh Kogi goes out there in that starting five, and he starts... 0405 because I going back to your point about you know man and having guys out there who are just active and and can move and are young who's to say they don't leave a Kogi open in the corner for the first couple shots and say if he hits one or two he gets some confidence we'll adjust if he misses the first two or three we're there right we've got him where we want him do you think Monty's going to have a little bit of a shorter leash in terms of pulling him out and maybe putting in a Tory a little quicker or, you know, whoever that might be. Do you think Monty will shift in the playoff or do you think we're going to see the same guy when it comes to the rotations? Uh, I think that's important, uh, of course, for the Suns, but I think that's just generally speaking in the playoffs, the margin for error yep. and the way that things can be tilted in favor of the other team if you're not handling your business in real time. 
you know, that those are the things that make him make wins and make losses in the playoffs. So, yes, to answer your question directly, absolutely. However, I do think that, and this is kind of goes back to what Koji told me when they were here in Chicago. Uh, he was mentioning that uh, what a sweet what a sweet name <laughs> drop. Are you kidding me? You think you think you're gonna say that, and I'm just gonna be like, oh yes, please continue to to tell me what the Suns starting two guard told you in Chicago. <laughs> no, you're. I mean, you can keep going now, but I just wanted to hit the pause button, take a moment to like take in what you said, appreciate it, uh, and then con- continue to tell me what you and your buddy Josh were talking about. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate uh-huh. it for real. Thank you. So. Uh, Koji was basically because I had, so the premise of the question I asked him was did the DMPs and things like that that he got in January leading up into February, late February, did all of those moments kind of add up to him being able to play in the space that he was playing in at the at the end of February and in early March? And his answer quickly was yes, absolutely. In fact, I think he might have said hell yes, um, emphatically. And he said, like, all of those things added up, the games where he was playing 10 minutes, 15 minutes, the games where he didn't play at all. And he said all of that comes from uh, Monty Williams allowing for his players to do what they do. Like he said, you can, you know better than I know what you can do and what you can't do. So trusting and instilling in his players to do what they can do and um, basically just using that as a weapon within the key cog for the machine of the team is important. So looking at Okoji specifically, like, yes, we know he can knock down catch and shoots, but we also know that that's not his strength. The thing that he is out there for is for cutting, playing with physicality and activity on both sides of the ball, screening uh, at opportune times, and then obviously defending his tail off at the point of attack and on the wing defensively. So if he's nailing all of those other things, the shooting is just an in addition to it. It's like a cherry on top. So if he's not knocking them down and he's only like 0 for 4 or 0 for 5, I don't think there'll be that much drastic of a choice made, but if he's like mm-hmm. 0 for 8 or 0 for 9, you know that hits different. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. All right, we're getting to we're getting to the difficult part of this here. Let's get where, it. Uh, where we put you on the spot, put myself on the spot, make us look <laughs> smart or dumb. Uh, there was a series at the end of last season, if you can remember, where uh, plenty of us looked very dumb in talking about what we thought would come from the Mavs series. I'm hoping that a repeat is not on the horizon, but we stay optimistic. We stay realistic. Whatever you want to be, Steve. How you feeling about the series, man? I don't know if any of your written pieces, if they're on bright side, if they're having you put down an actual prediction. What do you think this one looks like? What's the final, final for the series? So I think Ethan, you know better than uh, most that I'm not of the hot take. Um, the hot take nature of media well, space that's, that's, nowadays. That's why you're. That's why you fit so well on this podcast. We are not a hot take zone. We just try to stay entertaining. For sure, for sure. I always like to attribute things to the eye test and then using statistics uh, to back them up and bring context to it. Based off of the way that the Clippers were playing down the home stretch of the um, the regular season post All Star break, they went eleven and ten. Um. And they just didn't have that feel that I thought they would reestablish post-All-Star break. Because if you remember, before the All-Star break, the last team they played was the, was the Suns. Obviously, it was without Durant. But the, the Suns had a good game, and then the Clippers' game plan defensively in the second half, especially, just really weighed down on the Suns. And they were able to get scoreboard separation and win that game before the All-Star break. Um, they looked like a complete different team, and that could be because of the additions um, that they made at the trade deadline and ingratiating them. 
that could also be trying to fit in Russell Westbrook, who they got off of the waivers on the bio market. Um, we could attribute it to a lot of things, but they didn't have that dominant stamp that I was expecting for them to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also obviously attribute that to not having Paul George in the mix as well. But all things considered, and just assessing what we've seen on the court post-All-Star break, ah, I mean, I feel like the Clippers just barely made it to the cusp of um, the top six in the playoffs to duck the play-in tournament, which would have presented a bunch of different issues for them. So looking at it from that lens and also seeing what we saw with the Suns, with Kevin Durant on the floor, which he will be for the playoffs, and the team is fully intact and healthy, I just see so many ways that this team can go about putting pressure on the Clippers that they might not be able to match. And just kind of looking at it from that respect, um, and again, in an all-encompassing manner, I have the Suns winning this series in five. Yeah, I, five or six is where I was at. And I think a lot of that goes back to just a certain amount of respect that Kawhi Leonard is owed. Absolutely. And I think you see that a lot in series predictions. And the Clips could get swept. Right, like Kawhi could play his butt off and they still get swept. But it's hard for me to look at a team that's not so youth focused. They are mm-hmm. veteran, they have experience, they have a great coach, and they have a true top five like superstar player. It's hard for me to even think sweep. Suns in five is where my brain is telling me. Suns in six is where my heart is like, all right, don't get don't get too attached here. Like you're going to mm-hmm. get burned. Be prepared for it to go worse. I think five is a a really good prediction. Um, you kind of see some of those teams where it doesn't take long to realize that it's it's kind of over early in the series, but they're not a team that wants to get swept. So you'll see one great game three, game four performance, and then they kind of lean over a little bit. And you're like, all right, we we at least got our one. Uh, but man, I just I struggle after Kawhi to see offensively how the Clippers can put up enough points to deal with what the Suns are putting up on the other end. Um, Russell Westbrook right now is playing the third most minutes on the Clippers. That is a buyout guy who you will leave open from three. Third most minutes, tick over thirty. And I don't think That's, that was what they intended when they signed him all. either. Not at all. Yeah, and I think that's part of like you you were asking the question like where was where was that stamp? Like that was in in my mind I think the Clippers have this physicality, this this grit, this like a bunch mm-hmm. of grown men vibe mm-hmm. to them. And I almost was like Russell is trying to give them that. He is trying to will that into them of like we fight for everything, blah 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 and the rest are like all right. I mean, if he wants to do it, 30 minutes, go for it, man. So I I don't think they're trending the right direction going into this playoff series. I couldn't help but think as I watched the uh, play in tournament, I was like, I don't, I don't know if the Clippers get past a couple of these teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I thought, I think the Suns would crush a lot of these teams, especially in a series. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think you're right. I think the Clippers just through things falling the right way, ended up at that spot. Doesn't mean maybe they deserve to be there. So yeah, I think I think Suns and Fives is a safe bet, man. Obviously, we're gonna have to keep ourselves in check and and keep up with it as it goes on. Uh, Suns are playing Sunday, so we've still got a good bit of basketball before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, when are when are your boys playing next? <laughs> I don't have boys. First of all, 
I mean, I know what you're for. Yeah, listen, I'm 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 just covering teams for opportunities. I don't have no hey. I don't have any I don't have any emotional ties to anybody. Hey, Phillip's, out here. Phillip's gone. I have to tell someone they're a Bulls fan. I've been doing it for three years. Someone here has to be a Bulls fan, and it's not gonna be me. So it makes sense for the Chicago guy who writes about him to be the Bulls guy. Hey, they keep they keep winning, you keep writing. That's good for, sure. for you. So, hey, that's that's great for me. They'll be, they'll be my boys too. Go Bulls. I don't care what's going on in the East. <laughs> for sure. Where, they so got they, they got they, next? they got Miami tomorrow. Um for the last for the attempt at the last spot in the Eastern Conference, which would be a date to go against the, the Milwaukee Bucks. That's correct. <laughs> it's all fun and games sure. until the for playoffs sure. start and you realize that the Bucks are the one seed. And you're like, well, this was this was fun. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's a nightmare scenario for the Bulls or the Heat. But we'll see, man. I do think the Bulls will, uh, especially we're talking about where the Clippers are playing. Miami, by the same measure, have just like the whole season, man. Like this. And that's that's a team that I typically follow closely as well in my little Rolodex of teams I like to watch. They just haven't had the it factor all season. So they're kind of in the same boat as the Clippers, just with less talent. And um, yeah, I think the I think the Bulls will overcome some more demons the the rock the raptors have had their number for quite some time and so have the heat so being able to kind of take off two of those play two of those playing teams to get to the playoffs um i think there's a win there in and of itself even though that's not where they should be at right in this season right now i get it man well this has been our playoff preview for series one i'm gonna get this thing posted pretty quick so hopefully you're listening here on thursday you've got a couple days to get ready Suns play Sunday night, 7 p.m. on TNT. That's 7 Central Time. I know most of you aren't Central Time, but me and Steven are, so that's how we communicate mm-hmm. with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. We will be recording sometime soon after Game 1. We've still got to kind of figure that out around work schedules, life schedules, whatever. But I'm confident in saying we will be having episodes after the games. Might not be the crazy we're staying up till 1 a.m. Are you going to be staying on for the uh, media coverage and and game coverage and all the press conferences, post games? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. More than likely, for Steven's sake, let him cover the game on the written side of things, get some actual sleep, and then the next day we can (laughs) cover what we saw. Luckily, the schedule allows us that. And again, if you guys are listening, still listening as we near the hour mark, make sure to follow our feeds. Apple, Spotify, whatever, the volume's going to pick up, and we want to make sure you're sticking with us. And last thing, of course you want the Suns to win, and you're going to be tuned in for all the Suns games, but please, please, please just enjoy playoff basketball. Amen. I think one of the best things that you could do for yourself as a as a fan, or even if you are like me and you're a journalist or a media member or whatever, is to take your foot off the gas and just enjoy the moment with watching other teams go at it with their seasons on the line. It helps for a healthy balance in the things. I will <laughs> I will definitely tell you that. So just enjoy the theatrics, the antics, the the storylines, the um surmounting pressure. Just enjoy it all, man. It's the best time of the season. Transitioning from March Madness to April, May, and June Madness with the grown men in the NBA. Um, so just enjoy it, man. This is a beautiful time for basketball. And uh, for the people that do support the WNBA, the WNBA is on the horizon as well. So we're going from March Madness with men's and women's basketball in college, the NBA playoffs, and then we got women's basketball transitioning into it after that. So tis the season for basketball. If you are a true hoop head, this is the time of the year where you really want to be. So just enjoy hoop, man. 
their draft was this week, wasn't it? Earlier Correct. this week, it was I was on say, Monday. I'm, I'm guessing you had some good coverage going on there too. Yes, sir. It was on Monday. It was a um, it was a very fun thing to see, just seeing athletes of any uh, any gender or any age see their aspirations, desires, and dreams come true. It's a beautiful thing, man. So so yeah, I love it. What didn't some team have three of the top five picks? Correct. Yes. Insane. That's, that's I saw whole... I saw that happen, and I said, <laughs> "How on earth?" But then they all—I think they had four or five total picks, and three are the mm-hmm. top five. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Everyone on that team must not feel great right now because they <laughs> essentially just drafted a starting five. But anyway, mm-hmm. we'll we'll get to our WNBA talks later, uh, guys. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy the basketball. Uh, yes, Steven, spot on. This is if you're a basketball fan, this is the best time of the year. Enjoy it, whether that's watching a stupid game that involves the Lakers fouling with 1.6. Or great basketball that's to come. Enjoy it. Uh, For Steven, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley, Phoenix Suns podcast. 